listening to Abiding Hope Church's podcast of our weekly sermons. For more information about our church, please visit abidinghope.org. The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the ninth chapter. When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him. On their way, they entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him, but they did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. When his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. Then they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. As a busy mom of two, my life is more often than not filled with crazy. Anyone else hear me on that? Just utter insanity. I've got an applause going. It's just just crazy. And, and, And really, over the past couple of years, I've developed this priority system in my head of things that absolutely have to get done before anything else can get done. So packing lunches is a big one. Getting backpacks ready. Laundry. Cooking dinner, right? I've got this list of things. And when my family comes up to ask me to do something that's not on my list... I have this kind of a couple of phrases that I'll say like, not, not right now, buddy. Uh, give me just a few minutes. Let me finish this up and I, I can do that. Or, or not right now, maybe 10 or 15 minutes and I, I might be able to, to do that. Or, you know, that's really going to have to wait until tomorrow. And these responses are often in time when, when Nathaniel, my son, is asking to play Legos or my, my younger son, Lucas, is tugging at my shirt, or my husband's like, can we just sit on the sofa and watch mindless TV for 10 minutes when the boys go to sleep, right? And I get it, this priority list is survival mode, because if I don't do the 500 loads of laundry every week that I do, my family won't have any clean clothes, right? So at some point it's survival, but I'm beginning to wonder, is that really the most important thing? Do, do, do those things, do they have to get done right now? Can they, can they be done later? What's really the most important thing? And I think it's actually being present, being present with my family. It's about being present with God. It's about being present with myself. That's the most important thing. Caroline Lewis sums it up really well this week. She says, so often we lead life with a list of but firsts. 
or as my friend Lynn here reminded me, right, that oftentimes we lead with our butt first instead of our heart first, right? Just let that sink in for a minute. Yeah, we do, don't we? I want to go do that, but first I got to go do this thing over here. I'd love to say yes to that, but first I got to go finish this up over here. What happens is that when we lead life with a list of but firsts, we're actually not living. We're not living. We're actually stopping God's divine flow of energy in and through us because God yearns to fill us up with life and love for the sake of the world. But when we have a list of excuses, we block that flow from happening. It's, it's the same thing that happens in today's gospel reading. There's a bunch of people who want to follow Jesus. They're trying to figure out what's the most important thing. They got a list of but firsts, right? I'll follow you, Jesus, but first I got to go bury my father. Oh, oh, Jesus, I will follow you. I get what you're doing here. It's really important, but first I got to go say goodbye to my family and my friends, Jesus replies, he says, no one who takes a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, those are harsh words, right? Especially amongst this group of people who want to go bury their father or say goodbye to family and friends. But what Jesus is getting at here is he's saying nothing is more important than the reign of God. Nothing. That's it. And as the heart, hands, and feet of Jesus, we are called to always have God's reign in the forefront of everything we do. Carry it with us in our hearts, in our minds, in our very beings. Because if we don't have the reign of God in the front of everything we do, nothing that we do will be able to produce God's justice in our world. I'm going to say that one more time. If we don't have the reign of God in the front of our lives, nothing we do will be able to produce God's justice in our world. You see, God's reign is, it's a reign where, where swords are beaten into plowshares, where war is no more, where tears are wiped from every cheek, where death is swallowed up forever. God's reign where all are fed and clothed and housed and cherished and loved and treasured as children of God. God's reign where justice and peace and hope prevail. God's reign where life and love win every single time because that is God's promise to us through the gift of the empty tomb. You see, the reign of God is all about oneness. It's about living into the already present reality that I am a part of you and you are a part of me. God is a part of us and we are a part of God. What breaks God's heart is called to break our hearts. And what causes God to leap for joy should send in us a response of sheer and utter gladness. The reign of God is all about living in unity with all people and all things and God, understanding that we are a part of one another. So if we're going to fully dive in and put our butt firsts on the shelf, if we're really going to say yes to Jesus, to fully live into the inbreaking of God's reign in our world, then the first thing that we have to do is we have to shift. We have to shift away from the world's individualism. We have to shift away from the world's dualism and instead be awakened to this higher place of being and existing where we're living in oneness with all things in God and creation. 
Now, this is a hard shift to make, to shift away from individualism and dualism because it's a part of our culture. Richard Rohr talks about this all the time. We are products of our culture, right? We live in a dualistic world, in or out, right or wrong, black or white, male or female, gay or straight. The list is gonna go on and on. Actually, I could just sit down and we could probably name all of those, right, in probably 20, 30 minutes or more. We live in a world where somebody has to be right and somebody has to be wrong. But I'm gonna tell you what, the reign of God cannot exist in dualism. It can't. There's a great dissonance there because it makes absolutely no sense in the reign of God for some people to be warm and fed while others are cold and hungry. It doesn't make sense because we are all one, one with each other and one with God. So if we're fully gonna live into this reign of God, into this, this oneness and find the courage and the strength to shift, to shift away from our culture into this new way of being. How do we do that? Oh my goodness, it sounds absolutely overwhelming, doesn't it? That's our journey, our journey as children of God. And that way to embrace the oneness is to enter into a life of contemplation. Now, we use this word contemplation a whole lot, especially in, in, in religious and faith circles. The way that I like to understand contemplation is what it does is it draws us into deeper connection with God, with our own selves, and with one another. What contemplation does is it allows us to be fully present in the here and now to be awakened to the reality that every breath, every heartbeat, every millisecond is divine and that we are standing on holy ground. And when we allow ourselves to enter into those times of contemplation, God transforms us. God and God's spirit brings us to that higher level of awareness of the unitive union of all things, as Richard Rohr says, with God and all creation. <laughs> Now, here's the thing with contemplation, though. When we hear that word, what, there are a couple of things that our mind automatically goes to when we think about contemplation as far as a practice. What are some of the practices that we think about with contemplation? I, quiet, okay, sitting still. What else? I heard something else. Prayer. Time. Yoga. And there's one more I had in mind. Meditation. There it was. That happened at all three services. That was amazing, right? Prayer, silence, meditation, and yoga. And we think, well, if you're not practicing one of those things, then you're somehow not a person of contemplation. And I am here to tell you that is wrong. I'm going to be honest. I hate yoga. I just said it. I hate it. I do not like yoga. It does not work for me. Okay, now for those of you that practice yoga, oh my goodness, I bow to you. Really, you're amazing and phenomenal and that's great. But we're each different people. We're all so unique. And what contemplative practice works for you may not work for me, right? I'm a highly anxious person. So trying yoga is like hitting me over the head with a hammer. It just does not work. We're all contemplative people. We all have contemplative practices. You may just not have ever thought about it that way. Think about in your life, is there something that you do, some practice or something that you engage in that allows you to be fully present in the here and now? 
Is there something you do or somewhere you go or some person that you're with that allows you to experience the divine's presence here to say, ah, there's God. There God is. Naps. I love me some naps, right? Have you, do you have anything like that? Let me give you a few examples. Anybody here like to bike, hike, run, walk? Anyone here like to garden, cooking, right? These are all contemplative practice. Anybody here like to read, listen to music, play music, read poetry, write poetry, do something with your hands, pottery, artwork. Anybody here enjoy a good cup of coffee? Yeah. Anybody here like dessert? Yeah. Anybody here like to just sit in your beloved's presence for just a little bit? Sisters and brothers, those are contemplative practices. You may just never have thought about it that way before. You may not have ever, and that's okay, because what we've done is we've put contemplation in a little box, but there's a whole host of human experiences, a constellation of experiences that draw us into oneness with God and with each other. And so this summer, I'm going to invite you to be aware, to awaken to what those practices are for you, to name it, to claim it, and to practice it to be aware of how God is showing up in your life because I promise you, God will meet you there and God will transform you to open you up so that you can go out to be a vessel of God's reign so that justice and peace and hope win, so that life and love win every single time. So my prayer for us as a community of faith is that we will we'll shift, to shift from individualism and dualism and instead embrace this higher way of being, this way of oneness. And on those days when we have a ginormous list of but firsts, a ginormous list of reasons why we can't or not now or it's not the time, I pray that we'll return back here to these waters of baptism where we have been put to death and raised to new life, marked and signed and sealed just like Miss Beatrice with the cross of Christ forever, named and claimed as daughters and sons of God. And may that truth, may that reality be the energy that we need to go out and to help God transform this world. So my contemplative brothers and sisters, go practice and be the hope the world needs us to be. Amen.